I'm going to read the entirety of Psalm chapter 5, and then we will just uh, dig in uh, together. Psalm chapter 5, starting in verse 1. Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my groaning. Give attention to the sound of my cry, my King and my God. For to you do I pray. O Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. In the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch. For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies, and the Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. But I, through the abundance of your steadfast love, will enter your house. I will bow down towards your holy temple in the fear of you. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before me, for there is no truth in their mouth. Their inmost self is destruction. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongue. Make them bear their guilt, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels. Because of the abundance of their transgressions, cast them out, for they have rebelled against you. But let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy and spread your protection over them, that those who love your name may exalt in you. For you bless the righteous, O Lord. You cover him with favor as with a shield. I have not had the experience in my life to really have uh, moments where I really needed this kind of desperate prayer. Uh, I look at certain people hearing their stories and hearing their, their backgrounds and hearing the, the, the desperation that they were in, and you could see this, this desperate need to call out to God because if God didn't show up, what would happen? Now, we've all had those moments, but I look back at my life and I've seen the blessings that God has given me, the family he brought me up with, the financial stability that, that we had growing up. I can't remember those, those times in my life when things looked so bleak and so bad that I, I was caused, there's this welling up in me that called me to cry out based on my circumstances. Uh, the, the, the only time that I really think about that moment uh, is when uh, I was in Washington, D.C. I was at a conference. And my wife called me and said, Dave, Elizabeth is slurring her speech. She was about four, four, four years old at the time, and she was slurring her speech. She's, she's not responding. I don't know what's wrong. So I'm gone. I'm not with my wife. I'm not with my baby girl. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm helpless. W what do we do? Right? And, and of course, I didn't I take her to the hospital. She gets to the hospital and... You know, the doctors treat her, and, um, you know, within maybe 30, 40 minutes, she was back to normal. Uh, she had a febrile seizure, uh, which, you know, kind of comes on with a real spike of temperature where it looks like the symptoms of a stroke. I've never even heard of such a thing, but it was absolutely terrifying. Uh, so I remember being in Washington, D.C., and um, leaving the, the sanctuary of the conference and just sitting on the steps and just crying out to God, tears streaming down my face, God, be with my baby girl. Be with my baby girl. Help her. Make sure she's okay. You know, as a parent, you've had those moments, right? Uh, there's something different when you become a parent. You look at your own life, and your own life doesn't, almost doesn't matter as much about the life uh, of your children. Well, that's the kind of prayer we have here, right? It's a psalm of David. This is this expectant, urgent plea uh, unto God. We don't know the circumstances of the prayer. 
but we do just have this sense of urgency. Look at the first two verses again. You know, the, the, the David calls out to God, Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my groaning. Give attention to the sound of my cry. You just hear that, that urgency there, that, that desperation, that groaning, that cry. There's something very different in uh, David's tone here. And one of the reasons why I think so many of you have told me why we love the Psalms. The Psalms are so full of emotions, right? We are emotional people. We live in emotions. I've told you time and time again, we're embodied uh, souls, so we live in the body. So we have de- depressed days. We have excited days. We have emotions. And the Psalms give an expression to our emotions. We don't know the exact scenario in David's life here. It could have, it could have happened maybe right before Absalom took the throne. You know, we, the three, three and four kind of talks about how Absalom took the throne and David was running. Here, it may be just beforehand, right, where he's just, he's in that desperation. His foes are rising up against him and he's calling out to God. I mean, if you've been there, right, when, you know, in, in that moment when you have been absolutely desperate, well, we can pray these words, right? When we're in those moments, even today, next week, when those things in our life, maybe it's, it's a sin struggle that we can't get over. Maybe there's a person in our life who, who won't, reach back out to us, a family member who maybe has cut themselves off from the family, or someone you see maybe going the way of addiction. In those moments, what we can do is we give attention to my, to, my, to my words, O Lord. Hear my groaning. Give attention to my cry. We can use those words as an expression of our deep emotions unto God. And then it says this, the second half of verse 2, it says, um, Sorry, the first point, by the way, is an expectant prayer. I kind of skipped right over that, expectant prayer. Uh, so that he goes to my king and my God, for to you do I pray. Now remember, who is David? David is the king of Israel. The kingdom is united. David has the authority to pretty much do whatever he wants because he's the king. Now if you look at the history of Israel, as we saw this morning, Israel had a kind of, had kind of a up and down history. If the leaders were good, the kingdom was usually good. Uh, so if you read through the book of First and Second Kings, usually that they start, the so-and-so king of Israel did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. The so-and-so king of Judah did what was wicked in the eyes of the Lord. It goes back and forth. The, 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 the nation kind of went the way of leadership. Now remember how kings even be, how Israel even got a king. They rejected the Lord from being their king, and they said, God, give us a king so we can be like other nations they wanted to be like other nations you know Saul was not the the he was the king in man's eyes whoever one wanted but then David came up and David was a man after God's own heart and we see that here David understood even though he was the supreme authority in the land he was under authority I think that's something that our our leaders today need to understand people may be in positions of power but even those in positions of power submit to someone who is in a greater source of power, the Lord God himself. And that's what David says, my king and my God. David understood his role before the Lord. And because of that, look at verse 3. It says, O Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. You see how the change there? In the first two verses it says what? Give attention to my ears. Hear me. And then verse 3 says what? You've heard me. There's this change, right? In the morning, you hear my voice. You have already done this. In the morning, I prepare a sacrifice for you. So this is the, the picture 
of him going to the temple. There's this gathering of God's people. They're gathering in, in temple to worship. It says, I, I brought my sacrifice to you. And then what does he say? And watch. He's just going to wait and see sees what happens. See what the Lord is going to do. One of the cool things you can do uh, if you have teenage, if you have boys, one thing boys love is they love to see things get destroyed or eaten, right? Uh, boys love to do that. So if you, if you, if you ever want to make a boy uh, happy, you show them a, a snake in a cage and you drop a mouse in the cage. And what's the snake going to do? He's going to eat the mouse, right? Because a snake acts according to his nature. A snake is going to respond in that way. Well, this is what David is saying. He's saying, listen, you are my God, you are my king. You hear my prayer, right? I've asked you to hear me, and you hear me. I brought my sacrifice to you, and now I'm just going to stand back and watch what the Lord does. And the Lord will always act according to his nature, a nature that is righteous and just and holy. So we can always trust that God will do what God does. So when we lift our request to God, what do we do? We sit back and we watch and say, God, what are you going to do? In those moments in my life when things have been very uncertain, you know, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what's going to, what, what the future is going to hold. What I do is I say this, what are you going to do, Lord? I have no idea the next step. I remember leaving D.C. I, didn't, I laid down my job. I didn't have a job. I didn't know where I was going. You know, I sold my house, didn't have a place to live, and, you know, my stuff's in a storage unit. I said, well, Lord, I don't know what's going to go on here. But you're going to do something. You're going to open a door. Why? Because you're my God. And that's what God does. God acts for his people. That's, you can take that to the bank. He acts for us. The second thing we see here is the exaltation of the pious. The exaltation of the pious. And we're going to look at this in two ways. How God condemns moral evil and how he commends moral excellence. Let's look at that first subpoint. How he condemns moral evil. Look at verse 4 through 6 again. He continues to talk about the character of God and how God acts according to his character. And he says, For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. You just see a lot of adjectives there about things that are evil. You see the word evil, uh, wickedness, um, boastful, evildoers, liars, the bloodthirsty, deceitful man. You see the, the, these ideas of who, uh, all the things that are wrong in our world. Now, we, we could see those and say, yeah, absolutely. But here's the thing. The Lord's not with that, right? The Lord is, is apart from all sin. God is good. Right? God always acts according to goodness. So when he sees the world, his goodness always sets him against sin. Always sets them against sin. Uh, sometimes after I preach, people say at the door, and I told you before, stepped on my toes today, <laughs> right? Stepped on my toes today. Well, you know, the reason why we get our toes stepped on is because we're not all good inside, are we? We got some things in our life that are not all good. So, so when, what happens with the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit is telling us that God is against that part of you. God is against that sin in your life. That was that maybe that deceit or that coveting or that that lust. God is against that part of you, and He wants to form you so you can trust in Christ more. God is against that. Look at the language, the, the verbs here. What the Lord says? He says He does not delight. He pe evil cannot dwell with. 
The boastful shall not stand. He hates all evildoers, destroys those who speak lies. The Lord abhors, another word for hate, the bloodthirsty man. All these signs are really a rejection of the kingship of Christ, the kingship of, of God. David says, you are my God and my king. So David is putting himself over here while everyone else is on this side. They are against the Lord. What you, what you notice is when God gives people up to themselves, bad things tend to happen. And we saw that in the book of Judges, when everyone does what was right in their own eyes. Uh, Romans 1, 18 through thir- Romans chapter 1, 18 through 32. Read of a society where people give themselves over to sin. When God kind of says, okay, I'm going to take my hand back. You, want, you don't want to live with me as your king. You don't want me to be your authority and your judge and your, and your loving ruler. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to walk away and just see what happens. Now, can you imagine what would happen in my house if I had to feed my children and my wife said, you don't need my help, Dave? I'm just going to stand over here. You know what my kids would eat every night? Pizza and hot dogs. Woohoo! Right? Because I, I don't know my way around the kitchen. I can't, I can't work with that because I need my wife. I need my wife for so many things. You know, what happens when God takes his hands off, bad things happen. And we could see it all over our society, right? America has turned their backs on, on the Lord in many ways. Uh, Lindsay said, if you could trace back a lot of the, the, the real serious problems in our country that when school, the, the Supreme Court said prayer can't be in school anymore. We, we can't pray to God. We can't ask for his help. So what did God do? Maybe I should just back away. And look at the you know, things that were, were not even talked about in a private conversation, maybe 19... 60, 1970. Now it's on front, it's on the TV, right? It's, it's, it's in your face. You can't avoid it. You know, we have the internet, which is aggressively used by the evil one, I believe this, aggressively pursuing uh, people to drag them down paths that they would never go. And the technology can be a blessing, but if you have grandchildren, you need to protect them from the internet uh, because there are people who are aggressively pursuing 10, 12, 13, and 14-year-olds with pornography. God's saying, okay, that's what, that's the life you want for your society. Let's see what happens. We see that when people look at, at marriage. And God's against it. God's against it. God does not want his people to, to be that way. And we know this, jump, jump down to verse 9. Uh, David kind of continues to speak about these evildoers. He says, for there is no truth in their mouths. What they speak are lies. Their inmost self is destruction. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongue. Then verse 10 is the first time this appears in the psalm. Make note of this. Make them bear their guilt, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels because of the abundance of their transgressions. Cast them out. First time in in the psalms when a, a prayer goes up asking for God to punish evildoers. Typically, when we see people who are in sin, what do we want them to, what do we, what do we pray? We pray that God would forgive them, that God would grant mercy, that God would bring them to repentance and lead them to the truth. But here it doesn't say that. These men look as if they're so far gone and they've lived in such a way that's so hateful and so evil, God says, judge them. You are good, God. Judge them. This is the kind of thing that wells up in me when I see what's happening in the Middle East with ISIS. 
all the beheadings and all the all the the, the things that people making people try to to deny Christ. What I want, what I pray, I say, God, judge them. Judge them. Of course, we want them to repent. We want that. But sometimes people have have shown themselves, and and they're over here, and there's not going to repent. So God says, judge them. Show yourself mighty. Show yourself strong, God. That's what I think the prayer is here, right? It's not saying that we don't want those, even those people can't repent. Don't hear that. We want anybody can repent. As long as there's breath in your lungs, anybody can repent, right? Like I said this morning, for, so, for, who, for, for God sent his own son into the world that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. The door is open to everyone. But here, David's looking at these men and saying, their lives and their character are so far gone, there is no hope for them. So God, it's time for you to bring justice. That's what I want to see. But notice what it says at the end of the verse. End of verse 10. It says, For they have rebelled against you. Now, who are these people primarily against? They're against David and the people of God. But here, David says they're against you. When, when people are against uh, the people of God, so when people are against the church, who they're really against is God himself. God so identifies himself with God's people that to be against God's people is to be against God himself. This is one of the reasons why God hates dissension in a local church. Because people in a local church should always be in love with one another, right? To bear with one another, to serve one another, to outdo one another in showing honor. Because if we're not, what we're saying is that we may be against God in the church. How could God's people be against God if we don't love one another? Remember when, when Saul was on the road to Damascus? A voice came from heaven, knocked him off the horse, and he says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who was Paul persecuting? He was persecuting the church. He was persecuting God's people. But, but according to God, according to Jesus Christ, he was persecuting God himself. It's the same thing that's said here. We need to care about how we live as a body. And this is why I think that one of the reasons why I think the church is, is so, so important. Um, because, you know, we live and show the true love of God to the world. How we live as a body of believers shows the world what is true and what is, what is false. How does someone who is against God know what it means to be for God? Us. Us. How many people do you know don't step foot in church because of Christians? Because they got hurt in the church. Now, they're in sin and they're wrong. That's a lame excuse, right? They're against God. I believe that with all my heart. I think if you are not actively fellowshipping in a local church, right? I mean, I'm not talking about people who may have been hurt and need some time. I'm talking about people who are just saying, I don't need to be part of the church. Those people who are not submitting to God's authority, vested in the local body of believers, I think that they're going to they're have a rough day at judgment. I believe that, right? Because God so identifies with his people, right? So I need to so identify with you as, as a member of the body of Christ to show my love for God. How can I show my love for God if I don't love you? How can you show your love for God unless you love me and each other? You can't do it. This is one of the reasons why we want to share testimonies. This is one of the reasons why we want to get to know one another. We want to make sure that we are growing in love. But not only does God condemn moral evil, 
he also commends moral excellence. Look back with me at verse 7 and 8. It says, But I, through the abundance of your steadfast love, will enter your house. Now how does David say he's going to enter the house? Not because of his own righteous character, not because of his own good morality, but through what? Through your steadfast love. Now is David at this point in his life living a righteous and moral, God-honoring life? Absolutely. But what is the reason why he's doing it? It's the steadfast love of the Lord. This is not a boastful, look at how better I am than you. This is a look at how kind and merciful God has been to me. I don't deserve the mercy he has. It's because of your steadfast love I will enter your house. And we see this humility and this contrition. I will bow down toward your holy temple in the fear of you. That's, that's the, what I was trying to get at this morning with that image of the stone. You know, one day we're going to have to face that stone. That we're either going to be crushed by it or we're going to be saved by it, by Christ. It all comes down to are we living in pride, being boastful? Even this text, what does it say? The boastful will not what? They will not stand. So we do what? We bow. We bow on our knees, on our faces, and say, you are my king. I serve you, and I serve you alone. That's the picture here. That's what David is saying, right? I bow down in fear of you. You are my king. You are the one I lift up. Then he says this in verse 8 which will be the title of most of your headings in, this, in, in your Bibles. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness. Because of my enemies, make your way straight before me. Growing up, we lived um, in Palatine, Illinois, and right behind an elementary school, Lincoln Elementary, where I went to elementary school. And I cannot tell you how many times I would go and play basketball uh, in, in, in the playground. Right? I was right behind my house. I would just go back there and play. And I grew up outside Chicago, and, you know, I wanted to be Michael Jordan, right? There's that song, Sometimes I Dream, that he is me, he's the man I want to be, you know, I want to be like Mike. Well, I, I would do so many, like, moves, I wanted to become like Michael Jordan because he was my hero, he was my idol growing up. But he is an arrogant man, full of pride, you know, full of, of boasting and how great he is. Do we want our people, our young people, to become like Michael, the Michael Jordans of the world? Right? may have all the wealth and the riches and the talent in the world, yet they're full of pride. No, we want them to be like Christ. We want them to be like the righteous King of kings and the Lord of lords. You know, I want my children to be like many of you. This is one of the reasons why, as long as I'm pastor here, I'm going to have my kids in, my, in the service. You know why? Because I want my kids to know you. Because I don't want my kids to be like Michael Jordan. I don't want my kids to be like LeBron James. You know who I want my kids to be like? You. Holy and righteous. Who've lived your life out before the Lord. Right? And if we, if we take our kids away from you, that's who they're going to end up being like. But that's not true heroes. You're my true heroes. Right? I want to be like Owen McKee. I want to be like Lindsey Waldrop. I want to be like Ted Carroll. I want to be like you. Why? Because you're righteous in the eyes of God because you've lived a life of faithfulness under the Lord. And that's what we want for our kids. That's what David's saying here. Lead a life of righteousness. Because you know what? God cares about how we live. You know, you saw it today in, in, in the parable of the wicked te tenants. They did not care about righteousness and what happened to them. They were cast out. 
But let me close with this last point. Exalt in his protection. Exalt in his protection. Verse 11 and 12. But let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy and spread your protection over them that those who love your name may exalt in you. For you bless the righteous, O Lord. You cover him with favor as with a shield. There's just great imagery there. Spread your protection over them. You cover him with favor as a shield. Uh, imagine what happens if, if this building were to start to fall, right? And now, this building won't fall because Olin McKee had a hand in making it, so this building is solid and steady, right? But let's just say, for illustration's sake, this building started to crumble. Well, what's going to happen is, is the men in, in this room are probably going to lean over and try to protect uh, their, their wives or protect those next to them. Why? Because those who are, are built for strength are, are designed to cover. That's what we're called to do. And that's the picture of what's happening here is that the things are falling down around him. What the Lord does, the Lord covers us. He puts a protection over us, right? You know, it's a great image when you look outside and you look at the, at the edge, of, edge, of, edge of a sea or the ocean. The waters just cover the earth. How far does it go down? It goes down deep and deep, yet the water covers it all. That's how expansive the covering of the Lord is. And we know that we have been covered with the righteous robes of Christ. So the greatest thing that was against us was God himself because of our sin, because of our evil, because of our wickedness. And God says, I will take that for you. I will take your evil, your wickedness, and your sin, and I'm going to wrap around you the righteous robes of Christ, and you will be covered for all eternity. Because there is not a day that goes by, there is not a second that goes by that God is not, uh, Jesus Christ is not standing before God the Father saying, He, she is mine. They are covered with my blood. They are freely forgiven for all time and be in my presence forevermore. That's the picture here, right? And what happens when we know that we're covered? We exalt. We sing. We rejoice because we have been recovered and protected by our great God. So what we say at the beginning of the prayer, we wait and watch in expectation, and we know that one day our Lord is going to come down from glory, and he's going to take us with him to be, to be in his presence for all time, and we get to experience the song we sing when we all get to heaven. What a day of rejoicing it will be. Let's pray. Father, God, I thank you for Park Baptist Church. I thank you for the righteousness I see in this room. I thank you for the holiness that you have, have worked by the power of your spirit into the people here. God, I pray, Lord, that we would live a life of righteousness, of holiness, God. That we would care about how we live. We would care about each other enough to push people to holiness. Dear God, I pray that as we pray, we would understand your character. That you are our king, that you are our great God, and that you will act according to your character. I pray that you do it, Lord, not only for our good, but for your glory's sake. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.